Welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership podcast series, the world's largest weekly podcast dedicated to the topic of leadership development. I am not Scott Miller. Scott has been doing this podcast for nearly three years, hosting almost 200 interviews. And don't worry, Scott will be back next week. I am this week's guest host, Lena Renee. I'm Franklin Covey's Vice President of Consulting. I oversee a team of about 100 consultants that work with organizations all around the world to help them create culture, develop leaders, and execute on their top priorities. I am also a colleague and a friend of Scott Miller's, and I'm looking forward to talking to him about his new book, Master Mentors, 30 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Minds. So Scott, welcome to your show. Well, Lena, thank you. It's actually Franklin Covey's show, but I'm nervous because I'm concerned that everyone that's listening and watching is going to realize how insanely talented you are. There's going to be a petition to have you replace me as the host. So don't do that good of a job, okay? I will definitely not, Scott. It is such a pleasure to be here. And Scott, your listeners, many of them know you, but some might not. So let me tell a little about you. So you are 25 years a leader and an executive at Franklin Covey. You've authored several best-selling books, you're a keynote speaker, a coach, a mentor, you, you host this podcast like a metronome every single week, just brilliant interviews. And now you're uh, releasing your fourth book, Master Mentors. Now this book, it's a brilliant compilation of stories, of insights, of interviews. Um, it's just a lovely book. Wh why, why this book? Why now and why this book? Well, first, Lena, let's give a tribute to you because of all the people at Franklin Covey, of literally our thousands of associates, including all 200 of the guests, we quickly landed that you would be the best person to take over the interview chair because, again, of our friendship, but your immense talent. Uh, for those who don't know, you are a two-time Wall Street Journal best-selling author for Franklin Covey. You are a friend to many across the the company worldwide, you are a consultant as well as leading our consultants. So I'm delighted to be on your webcast today. Oh, Scott, so thank, thank you. you. No, truly, <laughs> thank, thank you. you for thank you for agreeing to host it. I'm at home at my at my place in Salt Lake, and you're in the studio today. So to answer your question, you know, I once heard someone say that most writers write the book that they need to read, and I think in some ways that's what inspired me to write Master Mentors. You know, all of us and I'm a prolific reader, as are you, is different books hit us at different times differently. And there's some books that perhaps might have hit us differently earlier in our careers or when we were single or perhaps when we're widowed or divorced or in a new career. And so this book kind of hit me at the right time. I had just completed our second year at the podcast and I realized there was such an amazing wealth of knowledge. What was shared on the air? What was also shared off the air in the, in the metaphorical green room, or perhaps a guest that I knew from a previous uh, professional role, perhaps you know behind stage we were both giving a keynote somewhere. I'd been to their office, so I just felt like it was incumbent on me to share these insights that could be easily digested by our readers that weren't always shared during the podcast. It might have been from their book. It might have been something we debriefed afterwards. It might have been something they said as they literally hung up and I called them back and said, share more about that. That wasn't on camera. So that's why I wrote the book. And I'll tell you, one of my friends recently said, um, you know, knowledge is not power. Knowledge applied is power. 
So in the spirit of having an abundance mentality, I wanted to make sure that our listeners and viewers and readers, Franklin Covey clients and perhaps non-clients alike, had the benefit of listening, uh, whether it's audiobook or reading in digital or print, what I thought were 30 transformative insights. And all of them may not rise to the level of transformation for you at any given time, but I think this book will hit you exactly where you are in your own life and career as well. Thanks, Scott. And I agree. In fact, I got an advanced copy of this, so I read it as it was, you know, just being revised and edited and then just recently read it a couple of weeks ago again. And one of the things that struck me is it does meet you where you're at. So the things that stood out for me were different each time. Uh, and I like that it gives you such a like wealth of knowledge. It's a variety of things to pull from to make you a better leader, to make you a better person. So let's say one of your listeners orders the book, either they go buy it at the bookstore, it comes in the mail. How would you recommend they tackle the book? Uh, what, what should they do? Just open it up front to cover? Are they looking for th something specific? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, listen, I write fast, easy, breezy books, right? I'm not writing War and Peace. I mean, Jim Collins <laughs> would not be impressed with the number of longitudinal surveys in this book because there are none, right? I, I write books from my heart. I write books from my own experience. I write books that I think will resonate with people who resonate with me. And I'm not everyone's flavor. I admit that. So first and foremost, these books are written in a funny, fast kind of easy to read style, you know, kind of one chapter a night for 30 days or pick up the book and read it for an hour and really read through eight or 10 chapters. So to calibrate expectations, I intentionally write books that I think are fast paced, two and three pages per chapter. You know, there's many ways to read this book. In some, in some ways, it's been compared to the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. Mm -hmm. I only hope to actually mm -hmm. sell a half billion books like <laughs> they do. So wish me luck on that. But I think it's a start anywhere, go everywhere book. It's yeah. not sequential. You don't have to read, you know, Master Mentor number one before 15. You might scan through the table of contents and see which topics resonate with you. Mm -hmm. And each chapter follows a fairly similar process. I reintroduce, if you will, who the Master Mentor is, why I think they are of the stature to be included in the book, what is perhaps the impact they had in my life. I often share a key transformational insight, in some cases more than one, and then I tell a story, perhaps a story about them as an illustration, perhaps a story about me, or in many cases a story about somebody else in my life that is either wrestling with or succeeding with implementing that insight into their life. So I think the book can be read exactly as the reader wants it to, whatever yes, hits them at the spot and they pick it up. Well said, well said. The book, uh, the word I use is charming. It really is a charming book. It's so lovely. And it is the stories. I mean, there's something about stories. We remember them, we process them differently. So that's what I appreciated so much. Every one of these insights has stories behind it, contextualizing either the interview or applying it, a story you experienced. So really well done. Were you uh, calling me charming or the book charming? <laughs> Both charming. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Okay, so the, the other thing I appreciated so much about the charming book was that at the end of every chapter, it becomes actionable. So the stories are memorable. The stories help you process the insight. But then for every one of those insights, you made it actionable. You have this summary statement, and then you have a question. Will you talk about those two things? I found them particularly helpful and useful. Sure, I think it's a trend in books, right? Is to write the chapter and then kind of recap the big idea at the end. I did not in, by any way invent 
this writing process. But what I think is important is that, you know, I meet readers where they are. I mean, I don't know about you. I don't buy any books now that are 65,000 words and 400 pages. I don't have time. I have a whole stack of hundreds of books that are on my nightstand or bookcases where I've read the first half of the book. And then quite frankly, the author kind of phoned in the second half and <laughs> it wasn't as compelling. Mm -hmm. So it's why I kind of meet again where I think the modern reader is. I share a transformative insight with hopefully a visceral, relatable story. We'll get into some of those, I think, later in our conversation. And then I make, I basically whack people over the head with a bat, right? Here is the insight. Now, here's a provocative question. How are you going to apply this in your role as a parent, as a spouse, as a partner, as a leader, informal, formal, as a committee member? So all you're referring to is at the end of each chapter, again, very short chapters, I just try to recap the big idea in one or two sentences and then ask a fairly pointed, provocative question to make sure that you aren't just reading it and thinking about it, but that you're reading it and doing something about it, right? It was, I think it was Voltaire that said, you know, to know is not to do, or, or I, actually, I think it was actually Stephen Covey that took Voltaire's quote and said, to know but not to do is not to know. Right. Right. And so I wanna make sure that readers change, that yes. readers benefit their relationships, their career, their income, their gratitude, their legacies, their passion, their, their lives, by making sure that what I think is a transformational insight, again, that's a heady term, right? I mean, it's a high level. And again, not every insight you might think is transformational based on where you are right now in your life. It's the kind of book where you might choose to revisit it. Yes. But I wanted to make certain that the insight was crystal clear, that people could close the book up in the chapter and say, okay, so here's the question Scott's asking me on how I'm going to apply this into my life and go do X, Y, or Z. You know, as I was reading it, I did pause at every one of the questions and have some thought. I actually found myself thinking I should start a notebook and actually answer, write down my answer to each of these. If I did that, I would be a much better leader and person. That's how insightful I found the questions. So, well, stand by because then you can maybe purchase the Master Mentors Journal. <laughs> <laughs> I will. You're a capitalist at heart. Thank you for the idea. <laughs> I want to share the profits in that. Um, okay, yeah, so let's yeah. talk about the interviews or the chapters themselves, so the individual chapters. Is there one, you mentioned this, and I, I, I found this to be true as well, that at different times, a different one might resonate more. So like I mentioned, the first time I read it, a different one stood out for me, and then when I read it a couple of weeks ago, a new one did. Is there one that is standing out for you right now, one that you're thinking about or ruminating on? You know, when I first pitched this book to a publisher, who I actually have published books with before, they kind of passed on it because they didn't like the episodic nature of it. They said, you know what, you need a red thread. You need all these chapters and insights to come back to something. Baseball, culture, performance. And I didn't like that idea. I actually liked the idea that it was episodic. That I talk about brain health with Dr. Daniel Amen. I talk about emotional agility with Susan David and gratitude with Nick Vujicic and servant leadership with Bob Whitman and radical candor with Kim Scott and multiple, I mean, they're all over the place intentionally. So the book is episodic, but I take that as a badge of honor, not a badge of criticism. You know, I think the one that I would, would, would is most resonant with me 
is Dr. Susan David. She is a Harvard Medical School psychologist. She is the author of the very famous book, number one Wall Street Journal bestseller called Emotional Agility. Her TED Talk is phenomenal. She's South African, so she's a delight to listen to on stage, and she's just insanely smart and vulnerable and relatable. And what Susan taught me, perhaps according to my wife, a bit too late, not too late to be my wife, but you know, <laughs> later in life and I should have learned it, was the, the difference between facts and our emotions, opinions, and feelings. And for me, this was profound. Because I think I had spent most of my life confusing my feelings, my emotions, and my opinions with facts, or at least I made them my facts. Because I, as you know, am a passionate person. I'm an emotional person. I have no shortage of opinions. I wear my feelings on my sleeve. I, I bruise hard and I hopefully heal fast, but I think most of my life was emotional immaturity. Was I had built a leadership style, a personality style where I was so passionate, so domineering, so sort of type A, a very loud personality, that most people took my feelings and opinions as facts. You know, don't believe everything I say. I mean, I'm lying, it just means I'm passionate about it. Mm. And so for me, I think it's been a maturation as a formal leader, as a father, as a husband, as a friend to recognize that facts are facts and opinions are opinions and both are valuable and there's a time and a place to act on both of those. Susan doesn't discount the value of anybody's opinions or feelings or emotions. She just reiterates how important it is, especially as formal leaders, when you're making maybe not life or death decisions, but you're making you know significant decisions with clients and, and positioning and branding and the P&L and revenue and profitability that you can check your ego. You can admit and acknowledge when perhaps your feelings are getting in the, the way of the facts. So that's been, a, that's been one that I think has been my biggest transformation as I mature as a human. I appreciated that one as well because I tend to be on the fact side of it, repressing. I, I appreciated that, like you said, she didn't weight one above the other, right? It's just don't conflate the two. That one was really profound yeah, for me as right. well. And, and maybe know, know when your feelings should trump facts. Know when facts should trump your opinion, otherwise known as perhaps your ego, right? And know when to draw upon which. Right. Right. They're all valuable. Just know where to place each. Yeah. 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 You know, you put uh, two interviews in there, Kim Scott and Trent Shelton, that were different in kind. As I mentioned, all the others have these really captivating stories. And then those two actually included kind of word for word pieces of the interview. What was different about those two that led you to go in that direction? Well, so the two you're talking about, Trent Shelton and Kim Scott, have very little in common, right? Trent Shelton is a former NFL football player. He's a black American dad. He is a famous author, a lifelong athlete, social media influencer. And there's Kim Scott, is a Caucasian woman in her 50s that is a former Google and high-tech executive from Silicon Valley. She also is an author like Trent Shelton, and she wrote a book called Radical Candor. Trent Shelton wrote several different books about um, his experience and the power that fear has over us, and I'm a big fan of both of them. 
what they both had in common was they represented very different, if you will, demographics, very different journeys, very different paths, probably similar influence, but with different audiences. But for some reason, it spoke to me that their interview was best captured word for word by transcript. Now, a friend of mine is David Rubenstein. He, of course, wrote the very famous book that came out called How to Lead. David Rubenstein, you know, as the billionaire philanthropist and hedge fund financier. He is a, an American patriot who saved you know, many American icons um, by purchasing and restoring them across America. He wrote a book called How to Lead. And in essence, what David did is a phenomenal book. I interviewed him on the podcast. And he basically took the transcript or a portion of the transcript from his PBS or NPR um, interview station, interview program, and he placed it in the book with some light commentary. And all as much as I enjoyed that, I wanted my voice and my experience to come out in this book. So 28 of the interviews are an insight from the guest, if you will, the mentor with surround sound by me. But then there were these two that were just piercingly insightful. And so I took Trent and Kim's word for word transcript. I put it into the book, not word for word the entire episode, just the big idea, because I thought the reader with these two would benefit especially from hearing it from them and not just me. Now, I could have done that with all 30, but then you could just listen to the podcast, right? I wanted people to really have the insight of me plucking out some of the top insights, sharing the key thought from the guest, and then bringing my experience, both positive or negative, to bear. But with Kim and, and, and um, Trent, their voice was just so powerful. Right? Kim, of course, is the author of the book Radical Candor. She talks a lot about an intervention that Sheryl Sandberg had with her at Google back when Sheryl was, I think, one of the senior executives there. And Trent Shelton talks about how you know our present is not our future and how he had gone through this sort of whiplash in his career as an NFL player. I think he calls NFL not for long. And he talks about how emotional and depressing his career had become and how he had to lift himself out of, you know, going from the highest highs being this sort of celebrity football player to getting cut and literally back living in his childhood bedroom at his parents' house overnight. And so just those two spoke to me yeah. that I thought the guest would do perhaps a better job than I would of recapping their insights. Yeah, they both had great stories. And, and as have so many of the interviews you've done. We've said earlier almost 200 interviews that you've done yeah, yeah. in this podcast series with just really incredible people. So you took 30 of those. So how did you pick the 30? Because again, almost 200 brilliant minds. How did you drill that down to just 30? It was very easy. It was just whoever Venmoed the quickest, right? I mean, there was a big <laughs> I'm kidding. There was no one paid. And no one was paid, of course. But all of our guests come onto the podcast with, of course, no economic benefit to anyone. What everybody has in common in the podcast is an insane work ethic. Let me start there. Everyone, all 175 guests so far, we've taped almost 200, have had an insane work ethic. There's no such thing as overnight success. There is overnight fame, but there's not overnight success. The other thing that everybody has in common is this abundance mentality. And they all want to they want to share with as many people as possible the results of their research, what they've learned, their triumphs or their failures. Those are two commonalities amongst everyone. How I picked these 30 was I wanted to hit as many people as possible in the reading audience 
at exactly where they were. You might be the parent of a two-year-old and you're wrestling with the fight over the helmet on, his, on, a, you know, on a skateboard or uh, uh, learning how to bike. You might be you know, a formal leader who's having difficulty having high-courage conversations with your colleagues, giving them feedback on their blind spots. You might be a very seasoned leader that's facing pushback on you pulling the funding or the plug on a project and you need to know when is the right time to pull the plug. You might be at a low point in your life where you need inspiration to be grateful for the things you have and not envious for the things you don't. So how I picked the 30 people, it was tough, right? Because we've, we've interviewed with some of the most famous, influential people in the world, whether they are major celebrities or best-selling authors or Pulitzer Prize winning authors or four-star generals. I picked people from all walks of life different ethnicities, different nationalities, different genders, different age groups, different fields of experience, famous and not famous. There's many people in the book that you've not heard of that have, I thought, a great story to share that could hit everyone. And in many ways, I think the book is valuable post-pandemic because I think all of our values have shifted. The first chapter is from Nick Vujicic around gratitude. We can talk more about that. But I, I intentionally, Lena, wove them together through this lens of they have some insight that I think others could benefit from. And I am proud of the fact that they're episodic. I'm proud of the fact that there's sort of no rhyme or reason as to which number is which. I just think it's a warm book that has the power of changing your life. You mentioned that Nick Vujicic is the first chapter. Can we hang there for just a moment? I mean, that is a choice, right? They, they might not yeah. be in a certain order for a given reason, but you did choose to yeah. have that interview yeah. first. Why, yeah. why is that? Yeah, and by the way, they were loosely you know, organized. I mean, I, wasn't I, moved around, <laughs> I moved around genders and races and ages so that, you know, again, different people would identify it real carefully. But Nick is number one. For those of you who don't know Nick, is uh, an inspiration. Australian by birth, American by choice. He lives in Texas now. Uh, spent most of his adult life in California. Nick has no limbs, no arms, no legs. He's in his 30s, a very famous author. He's, uh, he's known by some as an evangelist, a Christian speaker. And he also has a very non-religious message as well, of course, inspiration. He has a uh, has, I believe, four children, uh, two twins and two small children with his wife in Texas. And Nick is just probably the most inspiring person I think I've ever met. This is a man that has no arms and no legs. There's no hands, no fingers, no toes, no knees, no elbows, no wrists. He's a small foot-like appendage, one, the size of about half of your hand with a couple of toes on it. It's attached to the lower part of his torso. It's kind of useless other than texting. He and I have texting competitions for friends. He's been in my house many times. But Nick has created a life of abundance and positivity and looking forward that few of us can actually relate to that are, that are full, able-bodied with all of our limbs. And the story that I share without kind of giving that you know, whole story away is that Nick was at my house one evening. I, I'm fairly... I'm fairly uh, known for these monthly dinner parties that I have at my house each month in the backyard and we invite kind of a, an influential guest over and then 15 of our of our friends for all walks of life and we get to interview them. It could be, you know, a movie icon or a 
pop star or a politician, and we do this a lot, invite them over. You've been to several of them. Some of them go sideways, and some of them are delightful, depending upon the topic. But we invited Nick over, and Lena, before the dinner, Nick was sitting in my living room, we were talking about entrepreneurial ventures and things we might collaborate on. And I just was watching Nick, and by the way, with no arms and no legs, you could feel very awkward around him. You can't shake his hand, you can't hug him, you can't sign an autograph, perhaps he can with his mouth, I don't know. But I just looked at him and I realized I was 51 at the time, 53 now. And in 51 years, I had never thought twice about my ability to get up and go use the restroom, mm -hmm. about my ability to actually pick up a glass of water and take a drink, my ability to scratch my neck, my ability to open up a book. And I had taken for granted my ability to do anything whenever and wherever I wanted. Nick cannot scratch his neck. Nick cannot drink water. Nick cannot go to the restroom. Nick cannot do hardly anything that fully able-bodied people can do. Now, Nick can do a lot of things and does more than most because of his overwhelming sense of gratitude for the life he does have. Nick did not always feel that way. There were, on several occasions as a child, he tried to take his own life. And so I share in this book, you know, I think post-pandemic, everybody has a greater sense of gratitude. Your values yes. have shifted. Yes. Quite frankly, since meeting Nick, I'm grateful for my fingers. Yeah. I'm grateful to be able to adjust my glasses I'm grateful to be able to start a Zoom meeting and type out a book. I don't mean to underestimate Nick's perseverance or his effort or his productivity. He's insanely productive. Tens of millions of social followers. He's written and sold tens of millions of books and spoken to audiences in the hundreds of thousands across Europe. This guy is a machine. But being in his presence is, is life-changing. Yeah. We have different politics. We have different views on lots of things, right? Yeah. But what we have in common is a love for each other, but also I think an overwhelming sense of gratitude for everything we have and don't focus on what we don't. And in a world that's very capitalistic and materialistic, which I struggle with as well, the places that things have in our lives and the places that relationships have in our lives, he has had a profound impact on me, and I hope the chapter opens with the same impact on its readers. Yes. Long answer to your question, but no. thank you for recognizing Nick in the book. It was perfect, and I had the pleasure of meeting Nick through you, and he does have that incredible, gracious, just beautiful presence, so I thought it captured it well in the book, so thank, thank you. you. So as we're wrapping up our interview, I do have one other question. Every single one of these chapters. Wait, this isn't a two-hour interview? I thought I was going to go a couple hours. <laughs> and off you go. Two more hours. Well, I just, I want to, I want to talk about the idea that every one of these brilliant people, and honestly, each chapter did have an ins really transformational insight. Every one of them is intentional. That, that kept coming to my mind over and over again. None of these people defaulted into the influence that they have. You mentioned it earlier. There might be overnight successes um, that are, you know, overnight fame, but not overnight right. success, right. right? So you phrased it yeah. that way. And Scott, you are very intentional. You have been such a mentor for me throughout my career to be intentional. How, how, um, how has your intentionality shaped your success, both personal and professional success that you've achieved? Well, you know, I'm here today in my home on the French Riviera. And uh, no, my home's not on the French Riviera. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. 
I thank you. I, you've been a mentor to me too. It's it's interesting how reciprocal mentorship is, right? It's not about age or status or longevity. It's about hopefully sharing wisdom amongst each other. You know, I do try to be intentional, and like everybody, I'm impetuous. Well, maybe not like everybody, but <laughs> but like some of us, I'm fairly impetuous, right? And to quote our good friend and colleague Chris McChesney, who is the lead author of Franklin Covey's, you know, very successful book, The Four Disciplines of Execution. Chris is, by the way, one of the 30 master mentors. Yes. Yes. He says, you know, there's always more ideas than there is capacity to execute them. That is like, I'm the poster child for that. Because I'm brimming with creativity and energy and passion and, and on to the next thing. And I've always got eight or 10 projects going on at once. I've intentionally decided to do them. But it's Brendan Bouchard, who is also one of the 30 master mentors. Brendan, of course, is one of the most famous prolific authors of our time. I kind of call him the new Stephen R. Covey because of his wisdom and writings. He's one of the largest and most influential online trainers globally. And Brendan in the book talks about a concept called PQR, Lena. PQR, prolific quality output. PQR. And I think that's what separates the, you know, intentional from the influential. I think I'm quite intentional, but I'm not as influential hmm. as I'd like to be. Don't 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 confuse that with fame or celebrity or wealth. I would like to be more influential and have people learn from my mistakes, of which there is an abundance of them. <laughs> and so it's it's Brendan that taught me the idea of, you know, I'm not intentional enough. Is that I need to focus on PQR, prolific quality output. Mm -hmm. I'm writing books, I'm hosting podcasts and radio programs and writing more books and Inc. Magazine columns and leading a team and I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a career coach and on and on and on and a father and a son and a neighbor and a spouse and and that's too much. I can't do 12 things with excellence. Right. Like I can't do five things with excellence. I probably can only do two or three. Maybe two personally and one professionally. So I write in the book about this concept of how you ask and what are the questions to ask around how do you not just increase the prolific nature, but the quality nature of your output. It's something that I struggle with. Too many pots on the stove, wondering which one's gonna boil up in a good way. The problem is none of them are boiling up because they're all on simmer. I'm trying to tend to too many pots, right. too many right. metaphorical soups. So thank you for the compliment on the intentionality. But like in the book, I share a lot of my own struggles. I've had an amazing career, and I'm honored to have the position I have with Franklin Covey as the host of your and my mutual podcast. <laughs> That's right. Um, but I do struggle with and face daily managing my creativity with my discipline and my focus. I think it's a really insightful comment intentional versus influential right and which one are we which one are we getting? i am a very profound you wise are profound person. Just coming chapters proving that you are very profound well scott one thing um you are known at franklin covey and beyond franklin covey as someone who does lift up others you've had a spectacular career stunning success and you you bring others with you which 
I personally am grateful for, but what an amazing legacy you leave to all those that you lift up with you. And what I felt about this book is this is your way of lifting up even those that you don't know, people who you can't personally be you know, lifting up with you, but you're still allowing them to learn from your successes and for, from some of the mistakes you've made where you've gotten better. So thank you for this. As I understand it, this is the first in a series of books. So what's the of sneak course. peek? What's coming next on the Master Mentor scene? Of course it's only the first, right? For my previous confession, I can't just write one master mentor book. I've got to write 10. So I'm and partnering a with, in a journal, yeah, in a calendar, right? And a plush doll and all kinds of things. Yeah, the, product, the, the mall kiosk is coming shortly to a mall near you. You know, I am partnered with Franklin Covey and Harper Collins, who's the publisher on now uh, writing Master Mentors Volume 2. Again, 30 insights from 30 mentors. I already have them locked in. I'm excited that uh, I won't share them yet. Perhaps I will in the social media in the coming weeks or such, but I'm writing a very similar book that will, I hope, make its way into volumes three, four, five, and 10, perhaps two a year for the next five or so years, as long as Franklin Covey invites me to stay as the host of the podcast, or if they kick me off by next week, then I'll <laughs> pass the torch to you and you can be the author of volume three. <laughs> I'm sure you will be continuing to both host the podcast and release these books. So thank you. I don't so know. What? <laughs> they wouldn't expect me if a whole level of PhDs start listening to the podcast because of your wisdom hosting today. <laughs> not at all. Not at Thanks all. Thanks for not outshining me. <laughs> <laughs> it has been such a pleasure. I appreciate you so much. We appreciate you. Thank you for the interview. Thank you for your time. And Thanks, thank you to all of you who've joined, both listening and viewing. Uh, please join again next week for more insight and additional interviews on leadership.